these esoteric questions that I ponder at times. Uh, questions about um, what, what really matters in life. What, what really matters? Do you ever wonder about what is the meaning of your life? What's it all about? Why are you here? Do you ever pause long enough from the pace of life and have this healthy period of questioning? Questioning what matters the most. When I pause to ask that question, what matters the most, I'll be honest, at times I get overwhelmed by the questions because the questions just keep coming. And truth be told, I even get a little bit discouraged because because if I do come up with some answers, I realize I'm not living up to the answers that I have. I feel like a failure when that happens. Is what matters the most my personal happiness? Is what matters the most that I'm liked by you? One thing I know for sure is I don't want to be admired by you. I heard a great definition for narcissism. Narcissism is when our desire to be liked becomes greater than our desire to be... No, let me try that again. Our desire to be admired becomes greater than our desire to be liked. I I don't want to be admired because I will disappoint you and I'll feel disappointed as well. But, but is that what matters? Does it matter that I'm liked by you? Is it my personal happiness? Is, is it about me being completely fulfilled and at peace and totally content with life? Well, as a young boy growing up in North Minneapolis, what mattered most to me were sports. I played football and hockey and I played basketball. I, I even boxed golden gloves for three years. I, I did that primarily to protect myself against my six brothers. <laughs> but sports were everything to me. I loved sports. I was, I was so consumed by a life of sports because it was the one place that I felt the best about myself. It, it was the one place that that I could escape from all the other hard places in my life. From early spring, as soon as the snow melted, I began to prepare myself for the sport of all sports that mattered the most. Baseball, America's favorite pastime. I began to prepare for baseball. I'd take my glove out of the garage and I'd oil the glove and I'd put a ball in the pocket and I'd wrap the glove with rags or with string and I'd put it in the crotch of a tree. Why? Not because I was crazy, but that's what baseball players did to reshape the pocket for the upcoming season. Even with the ground still wet, we began the journey. We started with wiffle ball down at Hope Lutheran church in the parking lot. And then as soon as we could, we got over to the tennis courts at Bohannon Park and we began to play with tennis balls, a game we called Over the Fence. And I played Little League and I played Pee Wees and I played Cubs and I I played Legion Ball. I played town baseball up at St. Joe's. I, I played baseball in Collegeville at the college. Hundreds, maybe thousands of games. Baseball. 
and on every team. Football, I was number 33. Basketball, number 33. But in baseball, I was number three. Number three. Summer nights and weekends, I love to listen to the twins on the real radio. WCCO 830. And I love listening to that raspy voice, cigar smoking, that, that character Halsey Hall. What a voice. I love the smooth sound and, and the great commentary colored by Herb Carneal. And, and now I love John Gordon. I, I can't get enough of John Gordon and, and now Dan the Dazzle Gladden. Every summer we would have a special outing to the Met. And, and it was a twinite doubleheader. And the reason was, is you could go to two games for the price of one. And it meant we spent the whole day at the ballpark. We, we prepared by bringing sandwiches and snacks. And, and if we were lucky, we could get a hot dog or a Coke or a bag of peanuts. We sat in the cheap seats and left field. The reason was, is you had a chance of catching a ball hit by number three. See, what mattered most to me was baseball. I mostly wanted to be like number three, Harmon Kilburn. My childhood dream was to play Major League Baseball. But I didn't quite play the game like Harmon. The only things that we had in common was that we both hit really high fly balls. But mine were inside of the park. <laughs> and, and we shared a, a body type that was similar. And I hit pretty well for a catcher. When I wasn't catching, I would play at that hot corner at third base. I had a few claims to fame during my career in baseball. My junior year in high school, I played in the state finals against Paul Molitor. And after that game, I had a few brief conversations with scouts from Kansas City and from Oakland. Knowing fully well if I had responded to that, I'd been sitting on a bench somewhere re replaying the movie Bull Durham. Baseball was all that really mattered. And as many of you know, we've been journeying through a book, a, a book written by Paul, a letter to the Philippian church. And in this book, Paul is writing from a prison in Rome. And he's writing the church at Philippi to encourage them in their faith. He's writing to them this morning. To tell them what matters most. The question of what matters most is answered in these 11 verses. So I'd encourage you to follow along with me in your pew Bible. It's on page 1750. Take out a pencil. We love it when you write in the Bible. It tells us you're engaged. You can look at it on the screen. But hear the word of God as it comes to us from Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. 1750 in your pew Bible. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Some of the things that Paul's writing this morning in these verses, he's written to the Philippian church in this letter, some of these themes, and he's written to some of the other churches on his missionary journeys. And then he says this, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. For I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew. And in regard to the law, a Pharisee. And as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, Paul tells us. But whatever so to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is lost, Paul says, other than the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. For whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. May God add a powerful blessing to the readings of this His holy word. Amen. In these verses, Paul answers the question, what matters most? And he starts this off in the first verse with part of the answer. Part of the answer is rejoice in the Lord. The first verse. See, this is Paul's joy letter. And he's writing it from a prison in Rome. And he's telling them that even in difficult times and in hardship, we can still be grateful. It's my personal belief sometimes that that we as followers or those of us who are interested in following Jesus take ourselves far too seriously at times. At times, we can be some of the most sober people. I love hanging out with a group of guys from my community. We play racquetball two nights a week. And I'm really totally not sure where these men are in their faith. I know a couple of them are seekers and maybe nominal believers and a couple that aren't even convinced yet. But I love being with these guys. These guys are joy-filled guys. These are guys that, that laugh and, and aren't all intense. And these are guys that, that aren't burdened by spiritual baggage. I love being with my non-believing buddies. Because they remind me that, that it's not as difficult as we want to make it to follow Jesus. And really, it's not all that serious. Because Paul says we are to be rejoicing in the Lord, even in the midst of hardship. 
Right away, part of the equation of what matters is that we need to develop a posture of rejoicing in the Lord. We need to be filled with gratitude for all that we have. We are abundantly blessed people. We have freedoms and liberties in this country. We, we have food and we have health and we have creation and we have flowers and we have a garden club who shows up in the rain on Saturday morning to plant for us. And we have talents and we have attributes that are unique to us. Can I have an amen for the fact that we have a lot to rejoice about? Can I have it? So Paul says, you want to know? You want to know what matters? Our posture, our attitude of gratitude for all the blessings that we have. That's part of the equation. And then in verse 2, he launches into these three warnings. I love these warnings. He basically says, Be, beware of dogs. Watch out for dogs. Evildoers. Mutilators of the flesh. Harsh words. And these are words that Paul is directing to believing Christian Jews. These are Jewish converts that are insisting that these non-Jewish believers in Philippi, these Gentiles, need to be circumcised. The Judaizers are saying that that really the Gentiles aren't completely restored followers of Jesus because they're not circumcised. This group is all hung up on this external thing that defined their identity. But Paul makes it clear that it's no longer about the external things. It no longer matters whether... Somebody who embraces Jesus through faith is circumcised. Because Paul says what matters is something going on in the inside. And that's the circumcision of the hearts of the believers in Philippi. See, Paul was excited about the internal transformation that was taking place in the followers in Philippi. Paul says that that worship wasn't just taking place now like another spiritual ritual or behavior, but it's happening with the Holy Spirit involved. Wow, new worship, Holy Spirit-involved worship with uncircumcised Gentiles. Amazing that they could have Holy Spirit worship. And new believers are giving Christ all the credit and the glory in their life. It's right there in the text. And... These new Gentiles were no longer putting their faith in the confidence of their flesh, their circumcision, but they're putting the confidence in their changed lives that has happened by an encounter in faith. See, our culture and our world honors the externals. It's really about how we look on the outside. It's really, it helps define us on the inside. See, we, we, we've been told by our culture that those who are the brightest and the best and the most beautiful and, and the richest and the most powerful and drive the nicest cars and live in the biggest homes, that they are the ones that have what matters most in life. But Paul is simply saying, what is the condition of your soul? Is it circumcised? Is your heart circumcised? Have you been transformed by the love of God? See, these Judaizers are motivated by elitism. They have all sorts of spiritual pride in keeping their rituals and their laws. But Paul tells them 
that their efforts couldn't bring them a step closer to winning their salvation. Because it's not about circumcision and it's not about externals. It's about the heart. And Paul says when the heart's involved, amazing things happen in worship and God gets the glory. Now in verse 4, Paul's even worked up more. Right here in verse 4, we we gain a window of insight into Paul. I love reading Paul's writings. Paul is a guy who's never struggled with his self-esteem. He's a guy who has an overstated sense of himself, and rightfully so. Paul's greatest battle is not with his self-esteem, but his nature to want to brag a little. He tells us that. He says if there's anybody who has a reason to brag a lot, to be arrogant, then, then it should be me. What, what really mattered most before Paul encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus in that vision, what defined Paul were all the things that he could brag about. Listen to this. He tells us about his resume, his connectedness, his accomplishments. Born a Jew, circumcised on the right day, the eighth day, the external sign of his connectedness. He was a pure Jew. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews. No other ethnic Ethnic groups infiltrated Paul's genealogy. Paul's a blue blood. He's a blue blood because he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul has all kinds of connectedness in his genealogy. And as to his knowledge, Paul is, he's he's a surpassing intellectual. Paul has a PhD, he's a Pharisee, he's part of a select elite group. A group that not only knew the law, but followed the law. Every bit of it. And as far as energy, as far as passion and zeal, Paul said he had a whole bunch of it because for a long time he was a notorious persecutor of the church. All of the very important things in Paul's time and in his culture, the external things, defined who he was. But Paul says you add those all up together, you add the currency of all that, all of the balance of what mattered most. And suddenly he says, it doesn't matter at all. It's lost. He knew that these accomplishments were not about his partnership with God in the project of Paul's justification. Paul's justification had nothing to do with the externals and nothing to do with him. See, it's not about our past behaviors. It's not about our credentials. It's not about a resume. It's not about the things that we've done or haven't done. It's about the heart. It's not about our worthiness or our unworthiness. But Paul says, here's what matters most. It is simply all about Christ. It is simply all about knowing Christ and our response to faith. Paul says, I consider them garbage to what mattered most. What mattered most for Paul was to gain Christ, to know Christ, to be redefined by Christ. And Paul needed to submit to the reality of Paul's deliverance happened because of Christ. And Paul's response is a response of trust and obedience. So what matters most in life, Paul says, is faith in Christ. It's to know Christ. And that all the rightness comes from God. And all we have to do is receive it through faith. So I ask you, what does it mean to know Christ? 
Because knowing Christ doesn't mean that he wants to produce within us a bunch of rule followers. Folks that would do their spiritual life simply out of obligation rather than a desire from their heart. Jesus didn't say that he came to give us rules to follow. Jesus simply said that he he came to give us a life, a full life. And what he wants us to do is to grow and to flourish in our lives. So that we can encourage others in our joy and our love. See, the goal of our spiritual life, the goal of our circumcised heart, the internal, the goal of the inner life is to have our character developed and shaped. Shaped to look like Christ. When we... Our character is shaped by the character of Christ, then God desires us to be uniquely shaped in a way that uniquely fits ourselves. So knowing Christ means having our character shaped by God. Not by the external things that define our culture, but by the internal things, the character things. What, What I realized on Friday when I watched the funeral service of Harmon Clayton Kilbrew, the killer, was that so little was said about his accomplishments. This guy hit 573 home runs before steroids. In 1969, he was an MVP. The guy drove in 140 runs and hit 49 balls over the fence. These things about his resume were barely mentioned. At his service. He started a foundation to raise millions of dollars. For a miracle league. A league here in Minnesota where six special fields are developed. So that every kid, irregardless of his disability. Would get a chance to run the bases and swing a bat and catch a ball. Jump on home plate. See, Harmon wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. He had a failed marriage and he had some failed enterprises. But the fact of the matter is that the people that knew him loved his character, not his resume. The things that he taught were the things that were talked about. One quote about him is this. Harmon was a gentle, generous, compassionate human being who just happened to be a great baseball player. And some of his own quotes, listen to these, these are incredible. I'd love to be quoted like this. He said, and it was in this morning's paper, he said this, life is precious and time is a key element. So let's make every moment count and help those who have greater needs than our own. He said, always give more than you take. Know your neighbor. If you love beyond measure, then you should share it beyond measure. Go out of your way to do something for somebody you don't know. How radical is that? Somehow, Harmon made people around him feel of great value and significance. Everybody around him felt connected to him. At his service, at his service, the pastor who presided said this, How do we want to be remembered? What will be our legacy when all the external things fade away and no longer define who we are? What will be said about? What will be said about our character? 
See, he said this about Harmon. He was a man who cared for those whom God placed in his life. That Harmon was a man of faith who believed in God's plan of redemption in Jesus. The pastor then asked, how does God want us to make a difference? He said, it's not through seeing life as an opportunity for prestige and power. But really, life is about a purpose. It's about a purpose that lives knowing Jesus. A life filled with a purpose of faith. And then to live for people. That's what Harmon did. That's what Harmon did. He was a man of faith. All those accomplishments are external things. But it's his heart and his character that God wants to develop in each one of us. Simply through faith and through coming to know him. It's not about resumes. It's not about externals. It's about a decision of faith, Paul says. It's about knowing Jesus. And it's about living in the power of the resurrection. It's about growing and flourishing and finding joy. See, it's not about what defines us. But it's about who defines us. Who defines you? How's your character development going? Are you one who has said yes to knowing Christ? Are you one that understands the power of faith and the power of the resurrection? See, we are called to be power-filled people. We are called to be people who flourish and grow. We're not called to be serious, navel-gazing folks. But we are called to rejoice in the Lord. Always, Paul says, rejoice. One of my favorite songs that we sing here is this. It's called Knowing You. Knowing you, Jesus, there is nobody else. You're my all and you're the best. You're my joy and righteousness. And I love you, Lord. I love you. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's it's important that we get the idea that it's not about the externals. It's not about us and our accomplishments. But it's about you. It's simply about knowing you and having faith in you. It's simply about the power of our purpose in you. And like Harmon, an imperfect person, you call us to trust you, to be obedient to you, and to grow in knowing you. See, because spiritual growth is about our character development. It's about us looking more like you and less about ourselves. So as we come to this holy meal that reminds us of you, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it, that you would forgive us, that you would forgive us for the times that we really believed it was about us and our accomplishments. Oh, it's not that they're, not, that they're bad, they're good, but it's really about you that defines us now. So in this holy meal, redefine us.